Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog, Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. I nearly burped into the microphone right there. I just took a drink of some fizzy water, and wow, that was really close. Whew, it would have made a really exciting start to the Arsecast. Where do you go from there? I mean, when you just launch into a burp after two seconds, there's really only one way it can go. And uh, look, I'm, I'm not quite prepared to to go in that direction just yet. I hope you're well after what has been, well, a somewhat disappointing week from a footballing point of view because we've gone out of Europe, but it's also been a disappointing week for me personally, one in which I've had to question the very nature of our existence. Why is it that you can go for ages without anything happening and then loads of stuff happens all in one week and it costs you a pile of money? What is that? I know it's the equivalent of the you wait ages for a bus and then two or three come at once kind of thing. But but why why does it keeps happening? It has happened a number of times. And I've only been alive for 43 years. That is a very short space of time when you consider the millions and billions of years that the Earth has been in existence. It's like a, a blink of an eye from that point of view. And still this has happened. For example, I have to get my car done because we have our NCT, the National Car Test. So I went to the garage and got an NCT pre-test thing. And the dude says, yeah, well, you know, you've got some bulbs out. Not too bad. That's only to be expected when you live somewhere where there's speed bumps all over the place. And that bulb there is missing. And your fan belt is fucked. And you also need four new tires. It's like, oh... Now, I don't know if my fan belt is fucked or not, because the only thing I know about cars is that you put petrol in them and then you drive them, and that's it. I'm not mechanical at all. I'm really, really bad with things that are mechanical. So you have to put a measure of trust in the uh, the guy who's in the garage, the mechanic. Seemed like a nice guy, but how do I know? How do I know underneath it all that he wasn't just saying, ha, I'll, I'll... rip this guy off for the price of a fan belt or two fan belts as it turned out are there two fan belts i don't know how many fan belts there are so maybe he's charged me for two and there's only one i just don't know and that annoys me it's like when the odd occasion you might buy a lottery ticket and they have the machines which tell you if your numbers are are, if you've won anything but surely it's in the interests of the people who run the lottery to tell you that you haven't won even if you have? Do they take advantage of the fact that people like me 
are simply too lazy to take the ticket and go to the website and look at the results and say, no, that number didn't come up, that number didn't come up, that number didn't come up. But on the off chance that I've actually won the lottery jackpot, the machine could just tell you that, nah, yeah, you haven't won anything, and they're saving themselves millions. And I could be sitting on a beach somewhere right now not worrying about fan belts. So the car cost me a lot of money which is a pain in the arse. I had to get four new tires, which is fair enough. I accept that because from from a, even a layman's point of view, you know when your tires are completely and utterly bald and, and dangerous, which they were. I think I got the car, I don't know, five years ago. I don't know what year it was, but I've never changed the tires on them since. So they were pretty bald. They were Tele Savalas tires. So that I have to accept, but fuck, tires are expensive. On top of that, I got a problem with the drains in my house. They, they're blocked and stuff, and I have to get that done, and probably something else will happen before the end of this podcast. So all that on top of Arsenal going out of Europe. Now, I realize that there are people there sitting thinking, these aren't exactly the worst problems in the world that you could have, and I accept that. But, you know, I have a chance to complain about them. This is cathartic for me. So, there you go. And I nearly burped at the start of this podcast. So, look, the football. (laughs) The football, the football. Arsenal went to Monaco, gave it a really good try against a good team, came within, what, 13, 15 minutes of, of going through, but ultimately we couldn't find the goal that would uh, give us the 3-0 win that we needed to qualify. We go out on the away goals rule. And we'll touch on that a little bit later on with our guest. But I think the away goals rule is dense, I have to say. I can understand some of the rationales for it, but I think there are better ways to to decide a game. A penalty shootout. People always talk about how penalties are a lottery. They're not a lottery. You can practice penalties and get really good at penalties. So it's up to you to practice and then keep your nerve under a high-pressure situation. Penalties aren't a lottery. Penalties are a test of skill and and character and everything else. And I think penalties should be used ahead of away goals. I don't think away goals necessarily does what people want it to do, in that it doesn't always encourage attacking play. Whereas if both teams score the same amount of goals, surely where the goals are scored is irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. Like, why don't they give one and a half points in the Premier League for a draw when you're away from home? You wouldn't do it because, well, it's fucking stupid. So why would you decide European games like this? I don't understand it, really. But look, we went there and we scored a first half goal through Olivier Giroud. Danny Welbeck involved. Giroud planted the ball into the uh, the top of the net. Could have scored again just before half time. I think it was a well-back cross again, and he didn't quite get the right amount of contact, but I'd have to see another replay, and frankly, I don't want to go downloading that game again. And then we got another goal through Aaron Ramsey with, uh, I suppose, 13 minutes of normal time left, and then there was five minutes of injury time, but kind of ran out of ideas and imagination. That we crowded the box, didn't, uh, didn't threaten them wide. Like when Theo Walcott came on, Apart from hitting the post, 
It didn't do much apart from stand in positions where the ball was never really going to reach him, particularly when we were trying to put in crosses. So why didn't he go out wide and stretch the play a little bit? And and that's not to be critical necessarily of Theo Walcott because perhaps his instructions were to get in the box and, and try and create danger in there, but... Maybe we just could have done with a player stretching things from the uh, right-hand side or from the left-hand side even. Uh, Lots of crosses, lots of headers away from Monaco. Uh, A great chance between Giroud and Alexis where they kind of got in each other's way and the keeper panned it away. And I thought it was definitely behind the line, of course, but turns out it wasn't because the players didn't really appeal and the uh, useless officials behind the goal, they didn't say anything. But look, the manager afterwards spoke about missing chances about how that was the key problem. Uh, And it was a key problem in this tie, that we created lots of chances. And people spoke about how good Monaco were defensively, and I think they were very good at times, particularly in the final stages of the uh, second leg, where they uh, were very well organized, very well disciplined, kept their shape well, headed things away, cleared things away, hacked things away. Not that we necessarily made it easy for them, but it was good defending. But over the course of the two games... We made a hell of a lot of chances, like loads. Think of the misses for, uh, that Giroud had in the in the first leg, and I'm I'm sure he's not the only one who missed chances in the first leg. Then, of course, there were chances in the uh, in the second leg too. Um, we could have done better with uh, Mesut Ozil pulling a shot wide, Giroud heading wide. Um, who else was? There? I'm sure there were others. There were a lot of chances for all Monaco's good defending. We made a lot of chances and didn't take enough of them. And that was clearly an issue. But it comes right back down to the first leg when we scored, when Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain scored that goal. We should have just dug in, kept a 2-1, and gone to Monaco knowing that a 2-0 lead would have, uh, would have seen us through. The win that we actually got would have taken us through had we managed to just not concede another goal. And that really is the moment on which we lost the tie. So uh, it's disappointing, particularly as in previous seasons we've gone out against teams who are very good, like very, very good. You know, it's difficult to associate what happened uh, against Bayern Munich, against Barcelona as a pattern because you're playing two of the best teams in Europe. When you meet teams like that, Uh, at the round of 16, chances are it's going to be very difficult for you to go through. The consequence, of course, uh, of meeting them, or the reason we meet them, is because we didn't do enough in the group stages, didn't win our group. This time, we got lucky. We didn't win our group and got a very favorable draw. So this one, more than any of the others, was a a real fuck-up from an Arsenal point of view, because we should have beaten that Monaco team. Should not have gone out to them. You could see at the end of that game that they were so delighted that they've gone through because they knew that they were under a huge amount of pressure. And over the course of the two legs, we had the chances to, to score the goals that would, have, um, that would have put us through. So another disappointing European campaign is over. And it has been a crazy one this season with some uh, really bad performances and bad results. You think of Dortmund away, you think of the Anderlecht game at home. And not much of what we did in Europe this season was any fun. The performance against Monaco on Tuesday night was very good. Uh, From the point of view of keeping our momentum going, it was important. Um, If we can 
use the, the, the positives from that performance and take them into the final months of the season, then great. But apart from that, Europe has been a bit of a washout this season, and I don't think it was supposed to be. When you bring in players like Mesut Ozil, when you bring in players like Alexis Sanchez and spend that kind of money, they're the guys that are supposed to take you to the next level. Perhaps not winning the Champions League, but at least going a bit further giving a better account of yourselves in Europe, making yourselves a bit more dangerous, more of a threat for other teams to look at you with a bit more respect rather than a team that always goes out in the round of 16. So I think um, the manager and his staff need to really assess what went wrong in Europe this season uh, and do what it takes to put it right next time around. But of course, we've got to get there. We've got to qualify um in the first place and that obviously will all come down to what happens between now and the end of may or middle of may whenever the season ends in the premier league so look let's chat with this week's guest and i should warn you warn you warn sounds a little bit ominous it's not ominous don't worry about it but what i should say is that there were some issues from a sound quality point of view when i called up philippe Auclair. first off his his landline phone was well it was making some strange noises and he was clicking in and out and so I, I called him back on his mobile and the mobile is fine but it's not as good as the landline so apologies uh, for the sound quality of this one but uh, it's you know I did my best with it and I'm sure you'll be able to uh, to listen to the conversation absolutely fine Philippe very kindly giving me his time uh, despite the fact he's he's unwell so uh, we'll we'll forgive uh, Philippe, his part in this, he is absolutely blameless. It's all down to me. So let's uh, let's chat with Philippe Auclair. Thank you for uh, your unwell. So thank you for your time and, and making the effort for everyone. Um, it's not the uh, the Champions League exit, I'm sure that that has you sick and in your in your bed. But... I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh well, okay, maybe we've maybe we've uh, found the root cause, but it it all felt a bit familiar this week. Yes, a uh, case of déjà vu, déjà écrit <laughs> for for <laughs> It's basically the cut and paste moment for for many journalists and writers. You know, you go back to things you've been uh, you've been uh, writing for the last few years, and then, uh, well, um, you didn't think you would have to dust that one off this season, but mm. here we are again. And uh, I think that a number of people had predicted this two-nil scoreline. Um, I had actually done it in <laughs> before the game in a couple of shows. I think it was the most predictable. Um, results in so many ways and uh, I know that it, you know you could always point at the fact that there were other chances that 2-0 didn't flatter Arsenal at all mm. but in the end we got exactly what we expected What do you put the 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 defeat down to I know that Per Mertesacker spoke before or before the first game um, uh, maybe that there was too much pressure the team couldn't cope with the pressure of um, dealing with with Monaco but but Arsene Wenger said something that perhaps they looked at Monaco after drawing Bayern Munich and Barcelona and subconsciously there was a a touch of complacency going into that first leg I mean can we can we align what happened this week with the failings against Barcelona and Bayern Munich, is it part mm. of a pattern, or is it just down to the fact that on the night at home at the Emirates, Arsenal played disastrously? Um, and as I think it was Liam Brady said, it's very rare to win it in the first leg, but you can certainly lose it. 
thing, really. I think everything you've said is, is correct. Um, um, I'm, what is really surprising is that it's not as if this group of players is inexperienced in Europe or hasn't already had gone through moments such as these during, uh, during this season. Uh, if you think back to the uh, game against Anderlecht at the Emirates, which in a way was um, a kind of Monaco both ties uh, in, in 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, you, you think, well, you know, you've, you've, you've had the warnings, you escaped, you, you qualified, so you should know better about that, but no, it doesn't seem to make any difference. There's certainly, um, I don't know if it's a lack of uh, moral fiber, I think it's more a lack of intelligence, of collective intelligence. Yeah. I don't think that it's a lack of courage or anything. I think they showed actually great resilience in the way they played at Monaco. They certainly believed in their, in their, in their chances and, and, and fought until the last minute. And I don't think they didn't fight at the Emirates, by the way, and maybe they shouldn't have been fighting because, as we all felt at the time, uh, that, that goal by Ferreira Carrasco at the very end was, was the killer blow. I'm 2-1 down. I don't think that it would have been too much of a prime for Arsenal to, well, to do exactly what they did this week and win 2-0 in, in, at Louis II. Um, so you've got to, um, you've got to really to, to question um, the, yes, the sense of complacency. Uh, I, when you talk about pressure, uh, if it is pressure to play in a round of 16 game against Monaco, um, heavens above, you know, what must it be like to play against Bayern Munich? I mean, you probably are shivering, uh, hiding yourself behind the sofa. Mm. Um, so I don't think that that, that that is correct. But I think there's really, there's a frame of collective intelligence, of understanding of what is required on a particular occasion, and a certain lack of um, what I would call adaptability. Um, Arsenal is famously a team that very doesn't alter its game plan according to to the adversary and uh, Monaco is a very odd team in in European football it, it, it has, I mean it, it's a team that is primarily organized to defend and defend it does extremely well mm. how they defend everybody knows because Jardim has been using the same system all, all through the season the fact that they sometimes get away with murder uh, is well known just have to see the games they won against Bayer Leverkusen um, so uh, it is quite extraordinary that given that all the parameters were, were known to us and Wenger to his players they were not able to, to address this very modest team and I maintain that this very modest team uh, as they should have um, two weeks ago mm. uh, it's incomprehensible and, and this lack of understanding and of basic football intelligence you know that's the real question where does it come down to because we're talking about we're talking about a very smart manager we're talking about very smart players but somehow you put them together and you end up with one of the most stupid performances I've ever seen in Europe. <laughs> so, look, based on what happened in the first leg and what Arsenal did in the second leg to come back and, and play very well, win 2-0 away from home, it wasn't enough. So what lessons do Arsenal need to learn specifically from this? And it's one of those old things that we keep hearing about is that we, we've got to learn from this, we've got to take the lesson from this, that and the other. Um, is it just as simple as... A, be a bit more intelligent in when circumstances uh, are the way they are in the first leg. You got the goal, just shut it down at 2-1 and do what you need to do in the second leg. Exactly. Exactly. I think what they've got to learn, they've got to learn how to learn. <laughs> because it's a team that doesn't seem to learn very much, does it? Um, mm -hmm. And 
uh, it seems like the, the past experiences um, are not processed in the way that they should be or probably would be in a different environment. I don't know if it's down to the way that, that Arsene Wenger and, and his staff conduct the postmortems with, with the, the squad, or even if they do such a thing. I don't know. Uh, but there seems to be a lack of... Um, uh, I mean, it, when Arsenal are good, they're very, very good. When they're bad, they're absolutely awful. Mm. They're horrid. Um, and it's very difficult to contemplate the fact that it was the same team, more or less, that played at the Emirates and that played at Rude. I mean, it's, it's astonishing to have two performances which are as distinct as that, um, even given the circumstances, even given the fact that they lost their heads at the very end of the first, of the first leg. Mm. Um, it's, it, it really honestly is, if there was an easy answer to your question, I mean, it would have been found a long time ago, but we've, we've been having this conversation for a very long time. <laughs> uh, it's true that we never had it after a game against a team that is fourth in Ligue 1, uh, has lost its, its two star players without replacing them uh, in the summer. Uh, has had basically um, no financial resources to talk of to reinforce the squad, even if it is still one of the better squads in Liga. Uh, it's true that this situation is new, but you know, I took the example of Anderlecht um, before. Uh, it's not as if Arsenal can um, make its quality, um, I mean, its quality count uh, mm. against, against teams that honestly they should be really honestly steamrolling. Um, they're, they're, you know, it is not worthy of a club that is one of the six richest in the in the world. That's, yeah. that's uh, it comes down to that. And it is one thing to to fall in Barcelona, as you know, when Nicolas Bentner scored, missed that goal at the last minute. That was such a magnificent performance. Even you could say the way they came back to uh, you know against Bayern Munich, or the missed chance by Robin van Persie when three 0 up at the Emirates after the final at San Siro. Okay, they're all part of a narrative that they, maybe um, the fans can accept, even if it gets a bit boring after a while. But this is a, a, a new twist, and it makes you wonder whether the, the previous failures against the likes of Barcelona and Bayern in Milan were not in some way of the same kind. Is that there is this um, frailty or this lack of confidence within that particular team and that particular club, which means that they only start to function when, well, it's How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Too late. Mm. And you could say the same thing, perhaps, in the league. Why is it that this year again, suddenly Arsenal finds the, you know, Arsenal find its way um, in the league and, and, and puts together a string of very good performances and very decent results, but well, it's too late to catch up with the leaders. It's not the first time this has happened either. Yeah. And the explanation, for example, that it's due to the fact that are coming back from the World Cup, obviously, is a complete nonsense because Arsenal players are not the only ones who took part in the World Cup, fairly obviously. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it is extremely frustrating. Um, and no doubt it's a big source of frustration to Wenger. And I must say, when I heard this very strange quote about the Europa League, I was trying to think, well, maybe you think exactly the same as we do. There is a, a problem with this competition and, and this particular team at the moment. Mm, I think he did. He did clarify that by saying he was just joking. Uh, and it that, was a quip. <laughs> that's why I think it was a quip. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, it, it was a revealing quip, though. Yes, perhaps so. Perhaps so. But what's what's interesting, perhaps, about this season uh, and particularly the last few months is that from the last twenty five games, Arsenal have won twenty, uh, which yeah. by any standards is extremely good form. The, the problem Absolutely. is, the problem is, is that these uh, every time we win a, a bunch of games and it sort of scabs over the wound. When, when we lose one, it tends to happen in circumstances which which rip that scab right off again and and causes the frustration to 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 reach uh, critical yes. levels again. Uh, absolutely, Southampton, uh, Tottenham, Monaco. <laughs> mm. To 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 just to take uh, 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 amongst the, the last uh, the last few games, and every time it felt like a real. Oh, I don't know. I mean, a, a, a real slap in the face at, at every single step. And you're absolutely right. If you look at the form for quite a long time, it, it, it's remarkably consistent. Um, it's, it's very good. I, and also, importantly, the quality of the performances has also increased. Um, because it was not that long ago that we were thinking, okay, the, the performances are not great. Arsenal struggles to find its fluidity last season in particular. But the results, you know, are not so bad when you look at them. This time, you've actually got some very decent, very good performances. I mean, you could say the 2-0 win at City was probably the best performance in the league for, I mean, for how long, Andrew? Mm. For a very, very long time. For sure. You could also say that the win at Monaco um, uh, was also uh, one of the best, especially on a very difficult pitch. Which sometimes, and we know how Arsenal is a team that can be uh, knocked off its stride when it plays on a difficult surface. I'm thinking again of the game at uh, Crystal Palace, uh, the 2 1 win there, where honestly they, they really struggled because of the bumpiness of, of the surface. When Monaco is a very poor surface, but it didn't seem to bother them too much. There was such a will to do well and to win on that night mm. uh, that they, they managed to, to, to overcome that. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It seems that every time, it's not a case of one step forward to step backwards. It's to quest this small three, four steps forward, one step backward. But for some reason, the step backward seems to uh, cover more ground than the four steps forward. Yeah. 
it's, it's a question of perception as much as anything else. Mm. Well, um, Arsene Wenger, um, and I think we should we, we kind of have to qualify this next bit because um, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting discussion to have. And Arsene Wenger obviously feels strongly about the, this rule, the away goals rule. Now, I just want to be absolutely clear that I'm not suggesting that it was the fault of the away goals rule that Arsenal went out. Um, everybody knows yeah. the rules before they go into the competition. Arsene Wenger yeah. does. It's yeah. it, you know he's on record as saying it's the first leg that did us uh, the lack of uh, taking our chances. That was what's at fault. But can you? I I I think it's just a daft rule that the location oh, of stupid. a goal should not be. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Certainly not in the, certainly not uh, when it comes in the, you know, to, to, to twice, twice to, to 90 minutes, the fact that maybe it could be uh, brought into play after extra time. Yeah, perhaps you could argue that that, mm. but um, and no, it is a ridiculous rule. I don't think you'll find many people that um, who will, uh, agree that um, this rule should should carry on. It should be scrapped. We know that. It doesn't mean it's necessarily unfair. Always. I mean, Chelsea were also kicked out of the competition on the away rules, on the away goals rule, and you couldn't say it was a result that was undeserved by Paris Saint Germain. You of know, course. on balance of play, Paris Saint Germain were actually superior to Chelsea in both legs. Um, but it's true that it uh, places the onus on. Um, on, on, on the visiting team uh, in the return leg and in a way that shouldn't be the case. It is absolutely ridiculous. I've got, I've got a lot of sympathy for, for that, uh, for the actual theory. But this said, uh, is it relevant? No, it is not. Um, we, we can talk as much as we want about that and, and how this, this rule distorts um, the way football is played, and it's absolutely true. The fact that, for example, a nil-nil at home has become an excellent result, mm. uh, which is not exactly what the people who uh, devised this rule had in mind to start with. They, they didn't think that would be that. <laughs> that would be the consequence, but nil-nil is now a good result in the European competition. Um, it, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and Arsenal, it's not the first time they suffered from that. Um, remember, for example, of the impact that um, this, this rule had on the quarterfinal against Chelsea in 2004. <laughs> uh, when, yeah, when Chelsea equalised that Highbury. Oh, God. Yes, one all at Stamford Bridge, one all at Highbury. And then you know mm. that the next goal they're going to score is going to take them through. And that's that. So it completely changes the, the, the way you, you play the game and, and, and actually paralyzes you. Uh, in a way that is completely unfair. So, yes, it's a stupid, stupid rule. We all agreed with that. It's a stupid rule, but it is the rule. There are many other stupid rules in football. I'm sure we could find a few if if we look for them. Yeah, there there are plenty out there. But I mean, it, the, the the problem is, of course, is that if you have a discussion about it after you've got out on away goals, yes. people say, "Well, you're only saying that because you've you've gone yes. out on away goals." The the other side of that, of course, is that nobody's going to ask you about it unless those are the circumstances, because it's not, it's not relevant. Um, so we'll see whether anything changes in a, in a hurry. I, I don't quite know, but I mean, the the idea that it promotes attacking football you know, maybe made some sense in the past, but the fact is that Monaco, having scored three away goals, had absolutely no attacking intent in, in the game at home, which under the rules, you know, yes. is, is completely understandable. So um, I, I think it's I think it's a, just a, a crazy rule that the location of a goal uh, gives it more weight than, than, uh, than, you know, one scored somewhere else. It's just completely bizarre to me. Right. I want to ask you about Mesut Ozil. Um, 
he's he had a terrific game. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic against um, against Monaco, and I thought he's been very good over the last number of weeks since he's he's come back. But he continues to divide opinion. People who don't see enough from him, people who say he's lightweight, people who say he doesn't do enough for the team. Yeah. But what's your what's your um, view on him? I mean, I just love watching him. He's just such a beautiful I, footballer to I, watch. I, I, I think he's, he's wonderful to watch, and I really do think there's a problem of perception and perhaps you'll excuse me for saying that of understanding of the game really um, I, I get the feeling that some people talk about the um, you know Mr. Ozil and how he's not this and he's not that somehow don't they don't see the same thing as we see obviously and I think there's a lot of things that they don't see full stop um, I think it also changes a lot when you when you see him in the flesh and when you see him on television for example mm. I think that has an impact on how you judge him some, a, a number of the things he does don't, I mean, are almost invisible. I mean, but he hasn't, he can, with just a, a very slight bodily swerve, leave two players for dead in, in an abs- absolutely no space and then pass the ball properly. And you look at it, you think, that, that looks very simple. It's not simple. It's extremely difficult to do that. Very few players have got this this incredible balance, the balance you need to do that, the vision, um, the, um, the, the way he floats with the ball as well at his feet is, is, is remarkable. He's much quicker than people realize. Mm. Um, and again, since he's come back, he's, he's scored many goals. There have been quite a few uh, occasions on which I have thought he was the best basketball player on the pitch. And again, it's because what he does is not spectacular. And, and um, even though, you know, there are some beautiful assists and actually some decent finishes. And of course, he's not the perfect number 10. He's not, not the greatest player in the world. Nobody's pretending that. But from there to say that he's a, you know, lightweight or even a deadweight and that he shouldn't be in the team. And this is ridiculous, really. And I, I hope the performance against Monaco will have uh, made people realize that he's, yes, he's Mesut Ozil world champion. And by the way, uh, when uh, and this supposedly this player who is not there for the big games uh, also was probably one of the best German players in that World Cup final against Argentina. Uh, he, um, and he was the best player in Monaco, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very important game indeed. Does he suffer a little bit by comparison with Alexis in the sense that Alexis is very obviously trying to do mm. things all the time and you can question whether or not that's efficient or whether that's the right way but that's the way that he plays he's full-hearted he tries to get involved he tries to make things happen when he doesn't make things happen you know he'll chase after the ball etc etc and you know I think over the last number of weeks that he's looked a particularly tired player and one who mm. could probably do with a little bit of a rest but there's that that thing about how well um, you know Fans will forgive a bad performance if you if you try your hardest or if they can see that you're trying your hardest. Yeah, but, you know, um, it's not as if, and people keep dishing out the stats, it's not as if Ozil is just standing um, in, the, in the center circle, not moving around. I think against Monaco, what we saw was a player who was pretty much all over the park trying to yeah. keep Arsenal moving. And, and the fact is that that was one of Arsenal's most controlled possession performances in difficult circumstances away from home for, for as long a time as I can remember. Because even if you talk about Man City, that was a game where we sat back, soaked up, counter-attacked, etc., etc., this was Arsenal in control of the football for the vast majority of that game, and I don't think it's any coincidence that Ozil was involved in most of that. 
I entirely agree with you, and I would say it suffers from the comparison with uh, with Alexis, but he might also suffer from the, uh, from the comparison with Santi Casola as well, mm. who is another player who is very busy. The way um, and the way he avoids players, I mean, the way he creates space is by those extraordinary. Uh, it's like a dervish, you know, t- mm. turning on a sixpence and this direction, that direction, one foot, the other foot. It's very spectacular and it's lovely on the eye. Uh, Ozil doesn't have to do that. He, as I said, it's a, a slight movement, and that's it. He's created the space. Um, the, the, his pulsing is, I mean, is superb. He's always looking for the option, you know, to pass forward, mm. uh, and and. He brings so much to this side, and which is that's also one element of frustration. I have to tell you. I mean, I I genuinely thought that should they go past Monaco, which I genuinely thought they would. I thought this team was starting to gel together, and I thought there could be a real surprise package in this particular competition because there are quite a few teams which are not to the level they should be. You know, apart perhaps from Barcelona is looking very, very good again, mm. and and Bayern is obviously a pretty decent team. But amongst the others, you thought actually, with a bit of luck, you know, uh, we don't know. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, and and uh, it, it is very frustrating. But uh, still, I mean, I, I it, it's always going to be like that for players of his type. I mean, Riquelme was the same. You know, all all when I would, all uh, the sort of proper number tens. Um, would be would be uh, our players who divide opinion that way. But the thing there is, and product, if people you know look at the stats, you'd see that uh, actually there are quite a few assists, quite a few goals. And if you look at the way he he actually uh, has a, an impact on 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 the performance of the team, it's 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 remarkable. So let's hope that people got to get off his back for a while now. Mm. All right, Philippe, we'll leave it there. I'll let you get back to your uh, to your sickbed. Thank you for taking the yes, time as always. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you indeed to Philippe, as always. Hopefully he gets well soon um, and can join us on another Arscast in the very near future. Now, what's going on? Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you that if you're an iTunes user, uh, if you could leave a rating or a review or both, but I'm not being greedy. I'll accept one or the other if that's all you can manage. Uh, If you could leave that there on iTunes, it does us some good, you see, because it puts us into this category called What's Hot? And what's hot at the moment is stuff like Football Weekly and Second Captains and uh, other things. And and we're in there, but we want to stay in there because everybody wants to be considered hot. So if you like the Friday Arscast or the Arscast Extra with James on Monday, just leave us a rating or a review. And don't forget, of course, that you can do likewise on Stitcher. If you use Stitcher, you can leave comments on the Arscast on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com forward slash Arsblog, and of course on the on the website itself. Every time we put the post up on a Friday, you can just go into the arses and and comment away. So all the feedback and stuff is very welcome, but particularly on iTunes because what happens is the more ratings and reviews that are left, it kind of it scrumples with their algorithms. You see, and that's the the very technical term. So uh, if you could manage that for us, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much indeed. Also, just a quick reminder that if you're a, uh, if you're a Kindle user or if you like ebooks, you can get together the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season on Kindle, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Kobo now for about £2 or £2.50 or $2.50. $2.50 now, I think, is about €5,000. Take advantage of those uh, exchange rates. Would work well for the hardback book. There's a few of those left as well on the on the website, shop.arsblog.com. Uh, shipping and the book itself becomes a lot cheaper thanks to the dismal performance of the Euro 
which is kind of doing an Arsenal in currency terms right at this moment in time. But anyway, we've got Newcastle this weekend. We should look forward to that. Uh, Thomas Rosicki might be back in the squad. He's been out with illness. I don't know what kind of illness he's had. Maybe he had a massive dropsy. I don't know. But anyway, he could be back in the squad. There are no fresh injuries from the midweek win in Monaco, which is good news. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain still out, of course. Um, Mikel Arteta and Matthew Debushi are back in training, but still around three weeks away from a return to first-team action, according to Arsene Wenger. So a little way to go for them. Uh, And apart from that, you know, we're in reasonably good shape, all things considered. You have to wonder what kind of team he's going to put together against Newcastle, uh, especially when there's an interlull coming up. Will he view it as a way to just wring the last little bit out of some of the players and hope they get a rest on international duty? Or will he be mindful of the fact that some of them will have to travel far and wide? And the fact that we have an interlull is a bit of a pain in the arse, isn't it? Because at this time of the season, all the games are so important, you just want the next one to come as soon as possible. We play on Saturday, and then we don't play again until the 4th of April, I think it is. Could be the 4th of April. Wow, yeah, well, whoever. I think we've got Liverpool right after the interlull. So that'll be that'll be fun. But we're going to have one of those two-week periods where, well, probably not much happens. We're just going to have to knuckle down and get on with it and cope as best we can and, and get ourselves ready for the final push, the final six weeks of the season in which every game is going to be nerve-wracking and full of importance. So let's hope we can keep the momentum going this weekend uh, against Newcastle, away from home. Not a bad place for us to go. We've had a couple of difficult moments there, but our record is pretty good uh, under more pressure than we'll go there on Saturday. Uh, the momentum that we'll take from the midweek game and the winning five games in a row and winning our last five league games Hopefully, we'll uh, produce another good result. If those around us, ahead of us, behind us, if they all drop points along the way, if a, I don't know, a bloke in a hang glider crashes into the pitch and impales one or two of their players on the, the pointy bit at the front of the hang glider, who am I to argue? I certainly wouldn't. Not with that. So if you are hang gliding in the vicinity of a football stadium, just mind the air currents and stuff like that. You know, seriously. Seriously. So that's it. Uh, We'll have an Arscast Extra on Monday. Myself and James will be here looking back over what happened at the weekend and, and, uh, and looking forward to the interlull. But, you know, we'll try. We'll make the best of it, as we always do. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Chat to you on the Arscast Extra on Monday and on next week's Arscast, if there is one, because there's an interlull and usually... There isn't much going on, but we might do a, might do a hangout or something. It's been a while since we've done that. Oh, I've also got an idea where we might do, might do something else. I'm tapping my nose here in like secret stuff, because if it doesn't work, then I haven't told you anything or promised anything. But I have an idea, so we'll see if that works. All right then, until Monday, until the next Arscast. Uh, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye bye.
Yeah, yeah, that was a mad game, we remember. Oh, we played with ten men for most of it, cup final and everything. Anto got sent off after about 20 minutes. Their fella kept standing on his toe, you know. And Anto says to him, look, if, if you do that to me again, we're going to fucking wreck you. Your man, of course, did it again. There's a 50-50 in midfield. Anto goes steaming through the back of him like that. And his knee, now in fairness, we never seen a knee bend that way. And then bend back the other way. And then back the other way again. He was fucking in ribbons. He was crying his eyes out on the pitch and everything. But Anto got sent off. So we had to play with 10 men for most of it. And they were a handy side now. They had a couple of lads that had been on trial with bows and everything. But look, we got a goal just before the break. They scored just after the break. And they brought on Snackbox. He was a fucking fat cunt, so he was. But deadly player. But he was a fucking fat cunt. Anyway, about 10 minutes left, we score. Totally against the run of play because they have us on the ropes and everything. We're thinking, this is it. We just need to hang on for another few minutes. <sighs> corner in the last minute. Up goes fucking snack box. Loafs it into the top corner. And we're all, ah, bollocks. We're never going to be able to do extra time. We're fucking spent, Luke, you know. But the referee, he says, you there? Points at snack box. And our fella that scored brings them into the dressing room. And puts them on the scales. We're like, what the fuck's going on here? The referee says, they're the winners. We're like, what? The fuck is going on here? And the ref says, eh, see your fella that scored? He's about 12 stone. Snackbox there, he's 18 stone. We're like, so fucking what? Ref says, eh, yeah. They've won on away goals. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 